How did the holidays go? I was just listening to our last podcast. I got it finally processed and sent to Dustin. And uh, remembering our our Christmas tirade, anti-Christmas tirade. <laughs> well, anti-consumerist. Yeah. Yes. Um, eh, mixed bag. Um, I do like the slowdown very much. Um, I like the time to rest. But um, the parenting arrangement that my husband has with his ex-wife is just not very desirable on the holiday season front. But we are very selective about the hills that we die on. So it's not a thing that we fight about. We instead decide to fight more for be having the girls always on school nights so we can help them with homework and ensure good bedtime, proper nutrition, proper hygiene, stuff like that. So, and, it, and that, that requires a lot of fighting to uh, ensure that the people who want to do that kind of parenting are the ones who get to. Um, so we just kind of let the holidays be very underwhelming or delayed or just, you know, following a different schedule than any, everyone else. Um, so it's not the best thing in the world. And so it's not, it's not the, it's not the experience the vast majority of other people have. And so it's kind of weird when people like, I didn't even celebrate Christmas until my birthday because of the timing of actually getting the girls back. Um, and so wow. most people are asking, how was your Christmas before mine even really happened? <laughs> um, so we got to be flexible. So it's really not my favorite time uh, because, but I do enjoy being home with pets and relaxing and stuff like that. Yes. Time off is always good. But it is a huge um, routine disruptor with children, I, I believe, and uh, usually takes a couple weeks to get back in the swing. Mm-hmm. If you do get back in the swing, and then obviously with the, this Christmas being Omicron and lots of uh, potential COVID exposures, I know lots of people came back from the holidays and were sick. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really surprised that uh they they traveled to Oregon um to see their half sister and um that you know their mom's first kid and uh I was pretty certain someone would come back with something but because every time one of them every time she travels even to the western part of the state she always comes back sick because her family members she's visiting aren't very conscientious about whatever. Anyway, um, but they came back totally healthy. And so I was kind of amazed. Um, everyone's been vaccinated in our household. So I was ready to just deal with the Rona if it showed up, but it has yet to show up. So, um, guess, uh, I was pleasantly surprised there. Yeah. That's, that's good to hear. Yeah. We, we, we remain unscathed luckily. Um, just, uh, I guess, doing our best to socially distance, but also we're traveling through airports and large cities and went to restaurants and we're in Texas for the holidays. So made it through. I just found out that my niece, who we, who we did see over, over Christmas, um, she just tested positive for COVID yesterday and they had been back oh. in school in the Dallas area last week. And apparently it's just rampaging through the schools and she caught it yeah to be pretty lucky in north dakota knock on wood 
Yeah, I know the Omicron surge is just beginning. And so we, we have yet to see what really happens, um, according to the public health folks. But um, I am grateful to live in a place like this, uh, just in terms of uh, not people living like on top of each other, you know, not the incredible population density that I lived in some other places. Yeah, for sure. There, There's some good... Um social distancing built into our cultural <laughs> ruralness mm -hmm. that uh, I, I this last week I did find myself uh, avoiding the YMCA for two reasons the 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 COVID stuff but also everyone tries to you know get in shape for the new year and it's mm -hmm. just incredibly crowded and it's uh, it's terrible it's, it's a terrible experience when you're just walking over people and uh, it reminded me of being like in the supermarket in New York City or something it's just like you had to keep your eyes open at all times. Someone's going to come in around the corner with a cart and knock you over. And, uh, and the same thing at the Y. It's just like everyone decides they're going to get in shape. This is the week. This is the week, mm -hmm. baby. And uh, it's just nuts there. So I avoided it. I didn't get any, any workouts in. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to have some time to just recuperate and uh, rest. And uh, now we're back at it. Uh, so welcome. I see Dustin's joining us. Welcome, Dustin. This is the No Name Podcast. How you yes. been? How oh. was your break? Oh, break was okay. Um, didn't really do all that much, but uh, uh, got some lazy time in. Yeah. That's, That's good. Best. Well, so we had a little bit of a check-in there uh, with Ellie. Um, I guess I'll check in to say that... Um, I've been mostly checked out, at least on the <laughs> political scene. Um, I think uh, we'll get into a, a today's conversation topic in a little bit, and I'll let you introduce that, Dustin, since it was your your idea. But um, you know, we're now into the uh, the new uh, cycle. I guess is starting somewhat now, and uh, the de the National Democrats let us down again. So that was. Not surprising. Uh, it doesn't appear like the Build Back Better is going to get built. It's going to remain a figment of rhetoric. Um, and uh, we'll see what the National Democrats have up their sleeve. I um, am not hoping for anything. I have no expectations. But it was a little disappointing uh, to that nothing did get passed. And um, I guess we can blame Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema for that. Uh, but I think some of the other um, tactical errors were made um, from the general leadership standpoint of the democratic party. And uh, we'll see how, how much it uh, helps or hurts them in the, uh, in the midterms. Um, like I said, I've been trying not to pay too much attention, but I know that that's coming up. And uh, I think uh, it'll just be interesting. We'll see. Um, I think we, we know that the history says that the, the party in power will typically lose that power at the midterms. So that, that's probably going to happen. But uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe they got something up their sleeves. I'm always hopeful that uh, we'll uh, have uh, something more than dead, deadlock and um, and uh, non-action. And then the one thing I saw cropping up, two things cropping up a lot in the papers in the last week. And uh, I'll just throw it out there to see if you, if you guys have any reflections on this. But uh, it's I, I don't know whether how the group think works on a cultural level, uh, whether uh, there's something in the air and everyone starts talking about the same thing or uh, people just copy because they need stuff to talk about. And uh, 
the topic just becomes kind of the topic du jour of, of that week or so. But the things I saw in the last two weeks on the national political level were, uh, is democracy doomed? <laughs> Question mark. And, uh, and is a civil war coming? There's the other one. I saw multiple civil war uh, alluding articles um, with various um, political science experts uh, kind of either using some um, social science metric to say that uh, division and polarization is, is at an unheard level um, or, you know, a dangerous level and or some other uh, uh, metric is, is, is moving out of control um, towards a potential civil war or some sort of um, divide that can't be conquered. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think the these these two topics do get um, tend to get uh, recycled uh, every six months or so. I remember seeing the Civil War articles uh, this time last year. I guess after the old coup, the old coup attempt. Uh, it's always a good good chance to bring up the Civil War stuff. But um, I don't know if they ran out of ideas. It was the anniversary, but I did see a lot of those. Um, what I don't see too much of, and you know, um, I had a friend bring this up to me as well. We don't see too much uh, questioning, uh, you know, question democracy. Uh, we question whether democracy can continue, uh, you know, whether we'll slip into autocracy or fascism or some other um, system. But we don't see too much questioning of uh, of the uh, the economic system that um, potentially is is at the heart of the potential democratic downfall, which would be capitalism, uh, the way that capital capitalism creates inequality, the inequality. And nowadays has been um, allowed the rich people to take their money and translate it into power. And as they translate it into power, that's where the, uh, the old democracy starts to break down. So uh, if you're scared about democracy breaking down, you'd think you'd start looking at like uh, some of the um, structural inequality that comes along with capitalism. And uh, But the, the, the articles typically don't go that far. They, uh, they leave that untouched. They just talk about, you know, is democracy doomed? But um, I'd say uh, maybe capitalism is doomed, and uh, if democracy is in peril, maybe democracy will have to kill capitalism to to stay alive, or not. I I, I struggle thinking about what would come after capitalism, even though I, I try to think about it semi often. It's uh, it's it's like a first principle of, of modernity, and uh, to think what it would be like without it. It's, uh, it's almost impossible. I, I really do struggle. So I see where they're coming from on the question democracy and not capitalism. But I think we need to talk about, uh, you know, what we can do to uh, tweak the system to uh, help for more democratic norms to come to the top. And with that, I will uh, kick it over to Ellie and Dustin. You've been reading some Civil War fanfic the last week. I, I, I read something that talked about uh, that, that the author was warning the canadian government to get ready for america to fall oh, uh, wow and, and that canada has to be ready for it uh i i've come to the conclusion so 10 plus years ago whenever you'd see an article about civil war second civil war it was always from the, the right wing talking about how it was needed to push out the liberals and that the next civil war will not be about maintaining states being in the country, but it, uh, pushing certain states like California out of the country. Now I see that most of the Civil War articles are from the leftist perspective, left and liberals perspective, and it's almost like they're goading on right-wingers. I, I think that we've gotten to the point where the left 
wants a civil war, but they know that they don't have the, the guns and manpower to pull it off themselves. And so they are going to encourage the crazies on the right to do it. That's my conspiracy theory at this point. I have to admit, I haven't seen specific references to civil war in particular, and it may just be that I haven't been consuming a certain kind of media lately. But I will say that I am probably the most pessimistic I've ever been in my entire life. And yet at the same time, I feel myself growing into a level of acceptance, not 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 the kind of acceptance like I'm resigning myself to just letting it all happen, but acceptance of essentially what might be a permanent fight for liberation. And uh, I'm trying to sort of psychologically orient myself to the new reality and build the stamina for working to protect my country from the worst it could be, basically is until I die. I, you know, maybe I'll be lucky and it won't actually have to be my entire life. But um, I am as a parent, uh, you know, with my stepdaughters, I am very concerned about what they're going to encounter in the future. And I'm one of a very limited number of family members who actually is honest about the ugliness of where the stage of human civilization we seem to be entering. I am trying to get my ducks in a row so that they don't have to be thrust into poverty if things go to hell. You know, I bought this house so that people I love could always have a place rent free if they need. Um, and that's why my mom lives with me. <laughs> um, and I will continue to, this house can accommodate a number of people and the, ba- the basement can even be equipped with a full bath if I need. And um, just as they grow up, knowing that I have no idea what kind of shit show they're going to enter, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be a shit show between environmental devastation and uh, coast, you know, American coastal refugees coming into the center of the continent um, with the politics, what they are. Um, I just don't feel a lot of optimism, but I feel like I have to just recalibrate and anticipate and try to do my best anyway. But things look pretty bad from my point of view. And for me, the way that I'm seeing it is it's just the radicalization I'm seeing around me. You know, I'm seeing soccer moms who don't even really watch the news normally are starting to become basically borderline Nazis as far as I'm concerned. I mean, these people, you know, in, in, Germany, you know, there were the actual Nazis, but then there were the Nazi enablers, the the polite good Germans, you know, who looked the other way selectively, justified certain things, didn't want to ruffle feathers, didn't want to upset their family. And so they just let atrocities happen. And I'm seeing that emerge uh, in a lot of people who, you know, and it it does remind me of the authoritarian dynamic um, that Karen Stenner developed that a lot of authoritarians, they look like just everyone else when they're not under threat. And then when they're under threat, they, they bring out, you know, that inner part of themselves that wants a very strong leader and wants consensus and conformity among the citizenry. And the stupid pe- things that people are believing now, people who really don't have the sophistication to understand it. I mean, I mean, hearing people 
blame Biden for the great resignation. I mean, it's just like, are they like, what? Like, this even makes sense. And I'm not a, you know, huge Biden defender or anything, but the great resignation happened because of COVID and the way it changed our economy and the way people got to go home and, and reevaluated their priorities. I mean, my husband is a part of the great resignation as I I believe you both know full well, um, because the, just, I don't know, we just looked at our family life differently and um, decided that, you know, we, we were actually going to trade some income for some sanity. Um, and it has nothing to do with Biden at all. And so people are just believing stupid things and it's very dangerous. And I just, I'm, I feel like I'm getting a taste of what it was like to live in early, mid, uh, 20th century in a lot of ways, but with a lot of newfangled technology to make it complicated and different in some ways. So just gearing up to do my best, um, to, to, you know, try to be a source of good and to work on my stamina for these things to, you know, to cope with, uh, anxiety issues because, when I'm really anxious, I'm pretty debilitated. And what I need to not be right now is debilitated. Uh, so doing the mental health work that I need to do to be the force that I can be, even if it's just keeping my own community, like not violent against people of color, you know, even if it's just a very local effect, I, I have no delusions about how much I can accomplish on the national scale or anything, but like, if I can keep some people safe, it's worth it. And so I just, yeah, I'm in a very pessimistic mindset, but trying to, um, to, to say, what does that mean then? And then move forward with some thoughtful and honest strategizing, I suppose. Yeah. I think a lot of people are where you're at, um, Ellie. And, uh, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I, uh, I'm, I'm more of a, I guess I'm not either optimistic or pessimistic. I'm just kind of um, curious about um, how ideas spread and how this particular idea has come up in the last couple of weeks. Um, Dustin's uh, Googling in front of me on a screen share here about the the Civil War articles. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of the places that come up in my feed. So like uh, uh, the Atlantic, which I kind of have a, I, I hate slash love uh, a relationship with the Atlantic and the New York Times. But I do I do tend to read a lot of the articles there. And uh, the Atlantic's been doing a lot of that stuff recently. New York Times, Washington Post, whether it's uh, the review of that new book that uh, Dustin had up there, or it's just uh, something they want to tie into the the, the increased rhetoric. Um, you know, the rhetorical um, temperature has just gotten pretty hot. And uh, so I don't know what to believe. The reason I'm curious about it is that uh, you know I'm not on Facebook. I see, I see the things, the headlines, and I'm like, I read them, and I'm like, uh, you know, it just doesn't, um, it doesn't square with my personal reality of how I interact with people, um, and I, and I know lots of people, you know, that are on the, the right, and uh, and you know, are heavily armed, and uh, you know, ready to defend this country, but um, I have no problem getting along with them and finding common ground in lots of other things that aren't about the politics. Uh, so it's tough for me to think that um, you know that person or people like them would suddenly devolve into armed conflict. It just seems uh, crazy, over the top, and uh, why? Why would we do that? 
it seems like a waste of everyone's time and uh, super counterproductive. And uh, you know, it just seems like we can find lots of common ground in lots of different areas. And whether it's the technology or the media landscape, the culture that we're in is kind of creating the division um, in a structural sense. Or whether it's real and, and you know we need to have a fight if we need to fight it out to get rid of it uh who's to say it just uh my personal experience versus the cultural reflection i'm given is so out of uh, alignment that uh, i'm just like hmm, this is curious i don't know what to make of it um so i don't get too uh, too pessimistic or optimistic i'm just um just looking for more information really i i don't know which way to take it really well well as i was scrolling i noticed in three pages, only three articles were from what I would consider to be right of center media. And two of those three were saying, no, we're not in a civil war. The rest <laughs> were, were from left or left of center media, all saying, yes, we are. So to me, I mean, that that's where I get my theory that there is an effort that there are certain there are certain intellectual leftists that want it to happen, but don't want to do it themselves. And so they're going to, to push the people that they think also want it to happen on the other side to be the ones that start the thing. And uh, it becomes a, a standoff type of deal. Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of like back in the old days when the Rockefellers and, and the uh, Rothschilds would uh, uh, fund both sides of a war in a different country and profit off of the whole <laughs> conflict, regardless of who won. It's, it's sort of like the the uh, journalistic version of that. Yeah, That's well, I funny. wonder if... Oh, well, I was going to say, it just... I was going to make kind of a joke. It actually reminds me of a typical behavior in leftist circles of people wanting something to happen, but to outsource the labor to someone else. I mean, <laughs> like how many meetings have I been at where some guys like, you know what we should do, blah, 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 blah. And then like the implication is that I should do it. And, <laughs> you know, anyway, um, that's why I was kind of apologetic at a prior call when I was teasing that like, you know, maybe we got to get these, um, audio files up onto the podcast faster, but I'm trying to be conscious of the fact that I don't want to be that person who's, you know, um, assigning labor to someone else. So yeah, just, uh, in that sense, it sounds like a typical, um, <laughs> someone should do this and then they leave the room. <laughs> well, someone did. So the, the podcasts I have been processed and now I've got a really fast way to do the audio. So it should, should take uh, mere minutes to get it up after our calls. Uh, so agreed on that point, Ellie, by the way. And uh, I was gonna say that maybe they're these leftists, these, these squirrely leftists are trying to get uh, the energy on the left up uh, in, in, the, uh, in this midterm year where typically the party in power has difficulty uh, mobilizing its forces to get to the election and get active. So maybe that's part of that uh, is that, uh, hey, it's a civil war guys, you better get you better get up and stay. You better get up early. Start uh, campaigning. Uh, so maybe they're just trying to get people out, you know, uh, mo politically motivated. But um, I agree, Dustin, that it seems like it's coming from one side more than the other. And um, you know, I, I don't. I'm not a content generator, but I, I think sometimes you um, these stories write themselves. And uh, part of the, um, you know. The rhetoric around January 6th last week was, 
the idea that uh, some people want to pretend it didn't happen, and then some other people want to take uh, more take more uh, meaning from it than maybe it deserves to win some political points um, or to you know fit into their narrative. And so there's a lot of jockeying around um, the, the creating some defining meaning over what happened at January 6th, and then you know, and then forcing certain politicians to either you know own up to the to their participation or to own up to the fact that they um, aren't taking it seriously as as serious as some people want them to take it. And so I think that there was a potential that these articles were kind of feeding into this uh, idea that hey, it's very serious what happened and. Uh, why aren't we taking it more serious? And if we don't take it serious, you know what's going to happen? Civil war. And so I think there's part of that is uh, is what you're seeing over this last couple of weeks around January 6th, which um, I, I agree to a certain extent that uh, certain people haven't been taking it very serious. Uh, but I also, uh, you know, <laughs> some of these profiles for the people that got arrested are bonkers. So I, I have... Um, some degree of sympathy for the people that got caught up storming the Capitol kind of, uh, you know, they got worked up by social media and their own conspiracy theory rabbit holes they've been down into. And then the pre the actual president helped feed them some, some of that stuff. So it seemed real. If you're in that ecosystem of conspiracy, it kind of seems real with the president saying it. And then they, and then they decide to go to Washington and do something crazy, which I think, um, you know, in lots of periods of time, um, people are just looking for an excuse to get crazy. And uh, and this was a good excuse. The president says we're under siege. Uh, so I kind of feel sorry for the, the people that got caught up in it. Um, so on the one hand, it was serious. But on the other hand, these um, it was like a mass delusion at the same time. So how real was it? Um, is it is it was it very real or just a tiny bit real and a lot of conspiracy and the president was slightly bonkers on that day as well. Um, I don't know. I, I think our elected officials should definitely take it give give the appearance that it was serious because we don't want it to happen again, and we need to uh, do our best to not uh, you know create structural um, roadblocks to it happening. But um, I also feel sorry for the people that did it because uh, I think a lot of them are looking back and being like uh, that was kind of stupid, especially if they're in jail right now. And, uh, you know, starting to sober up from the, their stream of conspiracy theory, um, social media posts. The, the chatter on the right about January 6th is that it was all a set up job from from FBI agents that were there. And there the, there has been confirmed that there were some FBI agents in the crowd that may have been stirring the pot to try to get people to go a little bit more extreme. Because, I mean, we, there, there, there's no doubt that law enforcement does want to provoke the worst out of people oh, in order to arrest them. Uh, and, and so this is the equivalent of the Black Lives Matter people saying that the it was a bunch of right-wingers uh, infiltrating the riots last year to stir them up. So both of these, both of these extremes refuse to admit that their own people are the ones responsible and they both will point to a scattering of infiltrators as the culprits and so this this and this is a constant this is apparently a a a, a human norm to not believe that the people that you agree with are uh the problem 
And so, um, you know, it, it kind of feeds into to my theory that this is being, there, there's a little bit of provocation going on here. Um, and, and there's obviously a desire by people on both sides to cause the other side to show their worst. And I think that that is an escalating arms race at this point. I do think it's fair to say, though, that there are some clear differences between the agitators and the main activists. Like, like I, you know, the the leaders behind like Black Lives Matter are not the same as the agitators. Like they're usually literally not even the same race. So, you know, a lot of the like agitators on the left tend to be white, for example. And so they really aren't comparable. Sure, they're in the same part of the political spectrum to an extent, but there are some key differences. And it is a major frustration on the part of activists of color that angry, violent white people swoop in. Like they, they like they didn't coordinate it. They didn't want that, you know, so it, it's sort of like know-it-all's coming in and taking over and causing things. And, um, and of course it depends on where you live, what, you know, what the racial breakdown really is. I mean, it's obviously not quite as simple as what I'm saying everywhere, but there are definitely contexts in which that's what's happening. Um, and so I imagine it could be on the right too, that the info, the agitators and the main activists also might have, there might be some delineation between those groups where there are some differences even though they're they lean on the political spectrum in the same direction so i think it is and that's i think the source of the frustration of the more typical demonstrators who want to do demonstrations the right way that they really are trying to do it right they really don't want things to get out of hand but they just can't control some elements because they literally don't even know them you know what i mean they might have actually no relationships no direct relationships with these other people. It's not like they're having lunch with these people on a regular basis or whatever. So, um, it, but yeah, it does seem like there's there are these rogue elements that um, do that. And I mean, I, I think there's something to be said for Ryan talking about the kind of contagiousness of the ideas. But I do think it's interesting to acknowledge that uh, Bob Pape at the University of Chicago, you know, did some research into the January 6th people. And a lot of the people really causing trouble really were like, securely middle or upper middle class white middle-aged men so they weren't necessarily the downtrodden you know economically marginalized whites that sometimes people like to you know pin blame on that it was so they're not people i tend to feel super sorry for um you know they are people of some degree of privilege and it's not the stereotypical um it's just, it just clearly wasn't the stereotype. When you look at the actual empirical evidence and like Bob Pape does look at like terroristic movements, like that's his research area. Um, so um, this is a part of a long tradition of scholarship of his own. Um, and, and so I, I'm inclined to think that what he says tends to be informed and legitimate. Um, but in any case, uh, I mean, these escalations just don't feel very good to me. And I'm finding myself, you know, just for the safety of my community, not really want to participate in any real polarization and situate myself as someone that people can tolerate and trust to an extent, regardless of where they are in the political spectrum, just to kind of help diffuse as much as possible. But it's, it's not easy, this uh, situation. And I think I find it very obnoxious when I'm um, like, 
you know, elite think kind of thinkers are poo-pooing January 6th is not big of a deal. Um, uh, what's that one guy in the New York Times? I'm, not, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong. Um, it's either Russ or Ross, like Dow. D- yeah, Dowget, Docket. I don't know. Whatever. Donut. He oh, he was donut. a yeah he whatever he was a he's a smart guy and he's an interesting guy but he was a guest host on Ezra Klein's um, podcast because uh, Ezra Klein has paternity leave right now and he had like a an interesting conservative activist who is not of the old he's more of a cultural conservative than you know the the departing from the fiscal focus and like both of them were just kind of like yeah you know january 6th kind of got out of hand and it was just this minimization <laughs> i was like come on these two like i mean they're both like geniuses like these like you know really smart articulate intellectual conservatives with just like some different viewpoints and like i just expected more of them even and i'm just like oh boy okay I would, you know, it made it sound like a house party or something where the cops got called. Like, no, like, <laughs> like, like someone died. And then subsequently people died by suicide because of how awful it was. And uh, people wanted to hang our vice president, like, you know, the, a little bit more than a rowdy house party. But and so I, I, I see that justification is very frustrating. Um, and anyway, yeah, so that's what I'll say about that. Well, and, and there are a lot of the intellectual types on the right that say, well, if the other side can have riots, why can't we? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, <laughs> that, I, I it honestly, really sound that simple. I, I really just don't think the scale is comparable. I mean, the left has just not done what January 6th was like January 6th is, a, is a, mm. at a scale of like like that was just a whole level. I mean, or it, I guess it's contemporary left. I don't want to talk about like other co- contemporary American left. I don't want to talk about other countries or, you know, oh, no, particularly- they're, they're, they're comparing to Minneapolis, burning down miles of blocks. That sort of oh, thing. That, that's what yeah. they're comparing it to. Okay. So that is, you know, I, I'm not saying that's cool, but I'm saying that's different than actually trying to overthrow the federal government in the nation's capital like just the scale of it the scope of it like economic destruction um at a you know in a major somewhat major city but not the nation's capital that's what i'm talking about the scale of it and um and i mean the and there is a sort of the burning stuff like that's not new and it kind of happens on a like think about the riots after the rodney king situation yeah, it, you know seattle very, yeah. very parallel um and so that these really are kind of like a, a type of event that we can study and understand um and they they have a kind of psychology behind them and they just are different from the January 6th event. So I guess I'm just saying that that's why I don't see them as comparable, not saying I think that they're acceptable, but I do feel like this is an apples and oranges situation. And I don't think it's helpful um, to conflate them. I think it's helpful to be, have, you know, more intellectual honesty and acknowledge, you know, the, the difference in severity. And I'm not saying it's not possible for the left to end up doing something January 6th-ish under certain conditions. That's a hypothetical. And I'm not willing to say that's not possible. 
but I just think it's more intellectually honest to actually look at the scholarship on these things, actually look at the facts on these things, see the differences and see that, you know, there's a big difference between um, severely damaging a part of the country and overthrowing the damn country. Um, and anyways, I'm not really happy with any of this, obviously. Um, and I just, I worry that though, there's just more to come on both sides and both forms. And I mean, even Trump was going to have some kind of press conference, right? And then people in his circle finally convinced him that to do it on January 6th was incredibly poor taste. So it didn't happen. But it just makes me wonder, like, wow, what, you know, the fact that people thought that was a good idea and, you know, that that it wasn't walked back sooner is just astonishing. Yeah. This is the problem with arms race is that that you know one side notches up the other side notches up three notches etc cetera, etc cetera. and and the lack of self-awareness on the right is that you know when they're trying to hang mike pants and do all this stuff they don't realize that they are actually uh epitomizing classical leftist revolutionaries i.e the french revolution with that kind of mentality and or absolutely or the bolsheviks the Bolsheviks were very much the same way. So, so now you've got the right taking on literally classical historical leftist uh, approaches to overthrow. Yeah, it's like it's like shoehorn theory finally like has some validity. Like <laughs> it's uh, like the um, oh not shoehorn, sorry, uh, horseshoe theory or whatever. Um, <laughs> where you know at a certain point of extremity, like extremity on both ends of the spectrum can look pretty similar but yeah i mean the guillotine is like a go-to leftist joke and so it is it is interesting to go there with that and i just i think there's um i don't know there's just also just not a lot of acknowledgement of the seriousness that that came to and um but i I guess that to me that kind of feeds into the fact that the movement on the right is evolving away from uh, a clear difference from the left and because the economics are getting all fuzzy and squishy and like um, there's sort of an economic moderation happening as long as it has sort of a white nationalist bent to it for some of these individuals. And so I think we're just complicating the political uh, dimensions a bit more and the, the you know, the certain kind of um, social conservatism is is rising in a certain way and like you mentioned that one uh exchange we had dustin where you shared something about like the quote catholic thing um you know i yeah i'm noticing that um the rise of or it just seems like catholic catholicism didn't seem to have the same role in the past that it does now and uh that that evolving too i think has a big part to play in the shifting ideological landscape yeah, well, I think just to go back to the difference between Seattle and Washington, D.C., uh, to me it's the uh, the real uh, fact that the people that stormed the Capitol were trying to overturn the election, and uh, they had complicity complicity with certain people that were in power to do to do just that. And uh, the people in Seattle didn't didn't have complicity, and they weren't trying to overturn the election. They just wanted to win back local power for a, a local issue, and uh, in certain times, uh, a show of force or a mass of people mobilized will do that. 
uh, when the uh, when the political process is either uh, unable to meet uh, the demands in the timely manner or uh, has broken. And so it was. It's the the difference is that they they aren't trying to overturn the election, and and they certainly didn't have um, complicity with the people, some of the people in power. You know, some certain certain people of the capital force uh, were keeping the doors open for them to come in, or uh, you know they they didn't deploy in a timely manner. I think some of that stuff is just starting to come out. Um, with you know they they kind of let them in, and um, to a degree, and so. It's hard to compare them because if it would have been the left storming the Capitol, they wouldn't have been let in, and uh, I'm pretty sure that a lot more people would have been shot. And uh, sure, yeah, but, <laughs> so, but the, the, the point so, is that, that these folks, uh, I mean, we, we are in this zone of where we're no longer in Newtonian physics of equal and opposite reactions. We are in every action will have a greater and exponentially opposite reaction. So we're in the quantum field, the quantum yeah. level of, of yeah. politics. Yeah. Brownian, Brownian motion things, of politics. Things get weird at the quantum level. Yes. Well, you know, and, and I, I don't know how 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 to call people to account for the, their level of complicity in uh, in January 6th, the people that were in power. But um, I, I think there a, a good case can be made for them to move out of politics, <laughs> move out of power for now. Take take a break. And uh, come back when you're you're able to to operate in good faith with the system that you're participating in. Um, you know, I think any politician that's downplaying this, or you know, it was on the side of the people that uh, that decided to storm, uh, they need to take a step back. They need to be, re- uh, you know, removed from the situation. Uh, I'd say democratically, not uh, <laughs> not uh, by a mob, but another mob, a different mob, but. Um, you're kind of operating in bad faith and you how can you how can you participate in a system that you wanted to to overthrow the results of a democratically held election and i know they don't think it was actually democratic um, but we have to you know there are certain rules in a republic or a democracy that you got you got to just abide by those particular rules and if you don't want to if you don't like the rules, then don't participate. You leave, go somewhere else. Sounds like a case for term limits. Right. Get them <laughs> out of there. Get them out of there and get someone else in. Uh, and then we got 15 minutes, though, and we didn't even get to this, the topic, which uh, let's 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 pivot real quick to this. Uh, the candidate fair. I love the idea, Dustin. Um, I, I'd love you for you to pitch it real quick to our audience and then we can have a discussion here for a little bit about ways the civic cooperators can play a little role um, uh, here in our local pol- political scene. Uh, well, well uh, my suggestion was, and I'd forgotten what you were alluding to, so it's a good thing you reminded me. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the idea is rent the big room at the library and invite all the candidates that are running for various offices to have a table, probably don't even charge uh i think even if it's at the library we can't charge because that makes it commercial and we pay more um and uh you know everybody people can come in and and do meet and greets and uh you know i my, my thinking was do it sooner rather than later so that candidates can bring their petitions and get them signed all in kind of one place we we try to run three to five hundred people through there during the day and every candidate can finish up their petition work to get their 300 signatures and uh, you know chat with with the candidates there wouldn't be any like i wouldn't do like a 
a central program or anything. It would just kind of be an open-ended thing. Everybody gets their own little spot in the corner and, uh, you know, go from there. Like very, very low impact is what I was looking at. That sounds interesting. Do you know, uh, what does it cost to rent the space? I think we could rent it for the day for about 150 bucks. Okay. I think it's it's $40 per four if they let us get the Give us the nonprofit price, price, I think. And um, is yeah, don't show any favoritism and, and just kind of like you said, just provide the space and the infrastructure and you know a couple of rules to make sure everyone can participate equally. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they'd be fine with it. And it would be cool. So my thought is it would be cool for the candidates to get, you know, kind of a, a speed dating version of, of what they, they have to do in the in very much a slower door-to-door -door way and other other times. So a great way for them to kind of get good at, at what they're trying to, to run for, you know, become better politicians maybe. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would be great for the public as well to, to have, um, again, a speed date, but with all the, the political – uh, candidates and get a feel for them and that would be great if there was a way to capture you know the participants the public participants either via email or some other sign up process where we could um, you know maybe pull them after the fact mm -hmm. to see which uh, candidates kind of resonated with them you know kind of have um, a speed date and then a, uh, a survey afterwards and uh, maybe have some incentive or giveaway or something so that they can be compensated for their time to do the survey. But then to get to actually uh, get um, some feedback from the public on what they thought of the candidates, and then you could share it with the candidates or, or not. I maybe just keep it internal, but um, a, a nice way to see, uh, you know, re in real time almost um, how you're connecting or not connecting with your uh, potential constituents. I think it'd be awesome, and, and then we can learn more about what the people of North Dakota, at least the ones that would come to this particular event are looking for in uh, their elected officials. Yeah, that was the theory I was working on. <laughs> um, well, are there any like weekends we're eyeballing for this? What's your, what's the time period you're thinking, Dustin, where it would be, uh, it would make sense for somebody that's either trying to get um, signatures before the convention or um, what's, what's the date that would make the most sense? Uh, be most optimal. I, I, I have not gotten that far. Um, let, I'm going to open up the meeting room calendar here real quick. At the library? Yeah. Okay, so it looks like Weekends probably aren't even very good because they got a lot of stuff. So February 26th, is that a holiday weekend? No idea. There's nothing but, there. Yeah, nothing there on Saturday. That would that would be a good one to try to monopolize. Is that uh, March or is that March 26th? Oh, that's March. Okay, never mind. That's way too late. If we're going to do the petitioning side of things. So we got February 4th is wide open on a Friday. Um, so I got a lot of um, music programming there. That, that, um, yeah. 
the 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 Saturday before the twenty the tw the fifteenth maybe room A is open on February. That's 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 today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's open. Let's get down there. Let's still have time. Yeah. So February looks like, looks like room A is open on uh, the fifth, which is kind of early. Very yeah. Soon. Yeah. Well, it looks like room A on the 19th, um, they canceled. The Memory Cafe canceled room A. Hmm. That might they be a good have, one. They must have forgot about it. <laughs> but up, uh, We need to laugh track at this podcast. Yes. So, yeah, I would say um, maybe plan A being the 19th of February. So one thing I thought I would mention is that um, I think it's just Bizman Dems. I don't think it's other. And Bizman Dems is basically the districts that are in Bizman. Um, they're doing their their candidate endorsements during the day of the 19th. Oh, um, okay. So it, that's, you know. Not to say that then we should throw that date out the window, um, but that perhaps candidates who are counting on participating in that, being a little sensitive that timing. Like I don't, I would guess that might be at 10 a.m. Like they tend to do a lot of stuff at 10 a.m. on a weekend. Um, and so if that's over by like noon, then we just be aware of the fact that maybe Democratic leading people won't really even be around until the afternoon or something right. like that. So it may, not everyone can be there all day, but if it's really hard to pick a date, you know, I, I'm sure every weekend there's something going on that's conflicting. And so um, just being aware that those kinds yeah. of conflicts exist. Yeah. The 19th is about as late as I would be wanting to do it. Cause I would suspect that most people are, most of the candidates are going to have their signatures done. Fairly. So then I would, I would suggest, and then, oh, oh, by the way, and then that night in the evening, there is a Bizman Dems dinner fundraiser. So the sweet spot for uh, Dem leaning candidates would be, I believe that, you know, solidly in the afternoon, you know, yeah. after probably morning endorsements and before that dinner. And so just, you know, something to keep in mind that whenever we reserve the space, if we want representation from that part of the political spectrum having some solid afternoon time would be good is that the uh formerly jefferson jackson dinner i don't know they call it the sweetheart dinner mm. it's just like yeah often it's at a country club or something was it five um, days after valentine's day <laughs> yeah basically yeah they, they used to do a midwinter carnival and the timing was just too crazy with like holiday stuff i think so they pushed it into late you know later a little bit later in the winter um and it just happened to now that it lines up with valentine's day ish i believe they kind of reframed the theme it's all very organic and kind of unofficial i mean bizman dumps doesn't even have like uh what's what i'm looking for bylaws or anything so oh. it's a pretty relaxed kind of thing um but yeah just something to consider but not, not a reason to veto the date just a reason to make sure that the afternoon is a available to people um so that they can work around those activities well what do you think about that uh the previous sunday the 13th i don't know how sundays are for for these people but um looks like sunday's open the 13th of february 
I personally don't see any issue with it. Nothing I'm aware of suggests a conflict. I think the only thing that's limiting is what are the hours of library on Sundays? Yep. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, let me look here. Put their hours in it. They're one to six. Oh, they're over there. One to six. Okay. So. So take up that whole time, you know, maybe uh, because we need um, time to set up and time to break down. Maybe yeah. the actual event is one thirty to five thirty or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that personally, I, I think that you'd get more on a weekday, even if it just because you can go later. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to weekdays, but it just might mean it might put limits on my you, participation. Yeah, you, you, you and, and regular people won't get there until 530 then anyway. So, um, yeah. If it was a Tuesday or Thursday, I, you know, it, it's a little bit squishier for me it's a little bit easier to operate within because it's a work from home day and so um i just mm. i can i have more latitude into what that day looks like so i could start working really really early in the morning and then you know end early or something like that i don't have to conform to the structured hours quite as rigidly so if i had to favor a weekday a tuesday or a thursday thursday i would actually favor thursday because tuesday i have to do some childcare stuff because my Husband has to go take one to choir, blah, blah, blah. So, and Thursdays are kind of like nice and they got that end of the week vibe to them. Yeah. There's a lot of Thursday stuff in Roomay, but it doesn't say when it ends for some reason. So, Long I guess. Long meetings, yeah. Yeah. It's like their uh, movie night on, on the second or the third. Mm-hmm. Music club. It's probably going all night. What what's the actual room we want to use? Hey. Room A is the big one, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's where they have their book sale usually. Um because uh, I thought the seventeenth would be nice and no, it's pretty with with chairs, I know I mean when it when it is set up like a theater style, it holds 150. Uh with tables around the edges, I'd say we could probably set up, we'd have to do like a, you know, limit it to about nine tables around the edges and then allow for circulation. Um, so it would be like kind of the first nine candidates, first come, first serve. And then we figure out how to reach them. I mean, I, I would reserve one of those nine, so it would actually be eight. <laughs> well, I'll try to be as flexible as possible. And, you know, if, like, let's say it, you know, isn't the best day for me, but I can come help close it out or something, you know. So, I mean, my my presence yeah. uh, can be helpful, but if, it, but if we can't fit my schedule, that's okay. It's better for it to happen without me than... And, we and maybe we can, maybe this is a good way to get our other uh, uh, part-time uh, participants to uh, do some work. 
<laughs> yeah. Get them excited because uh, some candidate they like can come or something. Because as you said, it's always good to get other people to do the work. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a little different when you've been the one doing it all right. along. You just need to pass the baton for a little yes. bit. But yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I, I'll give them a call tomorrow if you want me to, Ryan, or you could. Um, I know that the, the gal that used to reserve these things, her name used was Rhonda. I don't know if she's still there. But uh, um, I've, I've worked with B, but I think you'd have to call because uh, it would be under your organization. Yeah. Profit, and they yeah. want to know who's the sponsoring organization. Yeah. And since it's politically tinged, uh, you, you may they may have to run it up the flagpole. Yeah. Because I think they they have some 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 policy in place. But I think if you explain it the way we talked about it, it should be fine from what I yeah. can remember of their policies. But yeah, we'll have and to. I think We'll have to write, write up a little one one paragraph type description. Yeah. And I think a lot of times people use the word political when they actually mean partisan. And, yeah. you know, it's it can be very confusing. And so a lot of times it's just it's really about not being partisan and also being focused on civic engagement. So explicitly being nonpartisan and just about civic engagement and information sharing, you know, I think that that's like, there is a more compelling case for allowing us to do this uh, with the right language. And well, yeah. And if we do it under the watchdog label, I have, I can't do legislator candidates. Uh, I can do local nonpartisan candidates. But on 501c3, uh, if I want to avoid not getting in trouble by someone, I have to make sure that it is non, non-party races. And I think that that would be good because we've got a, a good number of local non-party candidates that we can reach out to. Like, I, I think that I can get both uh, Bakken and Schmitz in here on separate side of the, the room, maybe. Um, and, you know, that, that way there's obviously balance if both candidates in the race are there, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, and I, I would be happy to try to find, you know, or just communicate with anybody in any kind of Mandan or Morton County um, election. You know, like I, I would be happy to reach out to other nonpartisan uh, candidates on my side of the river. Um, so that we could try to get some good coverage there. And then, you know, by allowing, I mean, maybe there's, you know, ballot measure people who want to be there or something. Mm -hmm. So that's also, so it could be kind of neat to actually like, you know, just give attention to the nonpartisan things that don't get their due attention enough anyway. Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe we shouldn't also set up a separate event in Mandan at does the the Mandan Library have a decent meeting room? Do you know? Um, I have to admit, I'm a little confused about the status of the library because oh. <laughs> of a it's going through some kind of transitional phase, and I feel out of date on what the heck's going okay. on. Um, it may be under construction, so oh, but okay. I've never seen any room in in the whatever was prior prior to whatever the heck's going on. There was there weren't any rooms that were really that big. Um, but that being said, the community is also proportionally smaller. So maybe yeah. it's not a big deal. I don't know. Yeah. The last time I had, um, there is a room there, but it only holds maybe 20 people. And I didn't know if that had changed since 2009. Um, 
because I, I don't think I've walked into that library since 2009. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could see there be, being some issues about having Mandan candidates in Bismarck because there's not going to be a lot of Mandan people who drive over to Bismarck True. to talk to a Mandan mm-hmm. candidate. And then you get the confusion of Bismarck people signing petitions for Mandan candidates and hurting their petition. Oh yeah. So good point. You know, there there's maybe there is a, uh, closer to the the primary having a more, uh, open-ended thing. I think the other thing, Ryan, you should consider is you don't have to pursue IRS, uh, tax exemption, but you should probably register civic cooperative or cooperators or whatever um, with the state as a state nonprofit. That way you can qualify for the nonprofit rate for these things. Yeah. Um, I'll have to see what, what um, I, cause I guess I don't, I don't know what that um, process is like. I have it's filling out a form and paying them $25. Well, that's pretty that's, easy. That's all it is. Yeah. I have, I have booked rooms at the uh, library with uh, groups that had no official status and just yeah. told them it was nonprofit. And they're like, okay. So that would be the other option to be like, yeah, just I, I, civic I, cooperators and we're, and we're nonprofit. Cause no one's paying us, man. Yeah. And because you've registered before, it, there should be no yeah. problem. You'd be like, Hey, yeah. let me do it before. So yeah, let's just Start do that. Our... Then we don't even have to worry about the rest of the stuff. Then we can be a little bit more uh, wild and crazy about how we do things. Yeah. That sounds perfect for us. Yeah, I mean, the second, I guess our first meeting was at the library, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, my the blockchain, the Bismarck blockchain group, which is a total, totally made up group. I mean, as far as the state is concerned, uh, we, we have all, all of our meetings at the library. And I just tell them it's nonprofit. And they're like, yeah, great. And it's 10, it's 10 bucks, I think, for, for four hours, from what I remember. So yeah, let's just do that. We'll put it under the civic cooperators. But uh, why don't you give them a call and, and uh, see if they if they'll allow that programming, Dustin? Yeah. And then you can just put it under the civic cooperators, and okay. uh, I think they should be fine with that. Okay. And uh, then we can see if any of the other civic cooperators want to cooperate civically with us on this particular project, because I think it would be a good way. It's always nice to to uh, you know have an efficient use of your time, and if you can meet four or five candidates that uh, you probably would have never had a chance to meet before. I think people will find that um, programming pretty nice. You know, certain people that uh, are interested in, in um, their local po- political scene. So I think it, it'll be a great um, kind of addition to the community. And I think for candidates, another, you know, a, a nice way to help them out. It's hard to run as a candidate at a local level um, because you're just, um, you're one person maybe sometimes. And it's a great way to, to get um, get them some more exposure they might not get. So hopefully we can um, attract a lot of the the people that are running this uh, this cycle. And um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds fun. Yeah, but you, with you that, might, we're you might have oh, to uh, demand some compulsory co- cooperation. Compulsory cooperation. Oh my Jesus! <laughs> Let's not go there, man. Coercion. No, no, not coercion. coercion. Compulsory coercion. cooperation. <laughs> Well, I think some of our people maybe are more. You will cooperate or else. <laughs> cooperate or else. Uh, we'll work on that language, perhaps. Yes. Yes. Really finesse it. Well, um, we're we're at it. We're after our three hour our three hour mark. We're after our one hour mark, uh, and uh, it'd be a good time for some checkout thoughts. I think this is a great. Um, 
great way to kick off the, the new year with a kind of a in-person event uh, to help people uh, learn a little bit more about their local elected officials or people at least that want to be elected officials. Um, I don't have any closeout thoughts. I, as we are thinking, I guess I have one closeout thought that I was thinking about when we we're talking about the mob mentality. And uh, it was just remembering back to the Beatles, Beatlemania. And uh, if you watch the footage of the people that were going nuts for the Beatles, uh, you know, a, a lot of them are young teenagers. And uh, it just, I think the, the interesting, and all of these kind of um, either mob mentality or group mesmerization um, moments in, in our history. A lot of the time, people are, are looking to be a part of something bigger than themselves, whether they know it or not. And uh, and also, some people are looking for a reason to get crazy, and, and but probably don't know it, uh, know it, uh, know it themselves, or they're not being honest about it to themselves. And so the, these things come about. Beatlemania, uh, President Trump, uh, <laughs> and uh, it gives people an excuse to get out of their normal um, operational modes. And uh, so it's a, it's a release of some sort to something more primal, more animalistic, maybe, uh, where the, you get a little outside, uh, you know, your personality, and you're able to subsume into this um, something greater than yourselves. And I think we all um, desire to be a part of that. And some of us are more selective than others, and some of us are more closed off on, to that than others. But it is um, a, a human need to be be a part of something greater than ourselves. And so I think um, we can deride the bad ones or the good ones. Um, you know, some people derided Beatlemania. Uh, but I think the point is that we, we should try to strive to create these situations where people can be a part of something bigger than, than themselves, but that in a productive manner, in some, a somewhat productive um, avenue. You know, that's what religion did uh, for some people in the past and maybe still does for certain people today. Um, but it's something we we need. It's something that um, fulfills us. It gives us purpose. And uh, if we're trying to counteract the the civil war that's coming, uh, I think we have to uh, think about these other um, more productive uses of of this um, greater than the, you know ourselves um, desire we feel to be useful and purposeful in something that's beyond our personal uh, reach. And uh, stuff like the running for political office can do that. Uh, and sometimes it's uh, something bigger than that. So whether it's the climate movement or um, whatever movement you want to be a part of, it, it, people, I think, get really uh, disappointed and depressed when they try to do it themselves and fail. But I think the point is to to bring people along with you in, uh, in your journey. So if you have an idea that's uh, worth pursuing, Maybe don't try to do it yourself, but get a bunch of people to agree with you and do it together. And then you don't have to be one, a one-man show, you know, the hero leading us to the promised land. But bringing people along with you and uh, bringing, bringing your army of followers. And, uh, and then you can, you can accomplish things bigger than yourself that way. And so uh, you, as we contemplate the Civil War, uh, think about things like that, um, ways we can just create uh, groups, groups and movements and uh, where people don't feel the onus to do it all themselves. Um, we can all come together somehow. And uh, I don't even know how I got there, but I was just thinking about the Beatles because uh, the, the Beatles were, uh, were always saying, like, uh, this is the most insane, the most insane scene I've ever been a part of. And uh, they wanted to leave the Beatles. The Beatles broke up uh, because of the, people just went nuts around them whenever they were in public and uh, made them feel really odd and really strange. 
and uh, I, I just think we have that we have that desire in us to to be a part of something that um, maybe uh, maybe we're not getting that fulfilled in our normal culture, and uh, this is why this stuff pops up. It's because we uh, we haven't found a way a, a productive outlet. And with that, I'll stop rambling. Any other check checkout thoughts here before we uh, we move on with our Sunday? I would just uh, respond to that saying that, that it's a cult of personality situation and people that are used to going to meetings of five to eight people all the time, when as soon as there is something that there's hundreds at, they're going to go there, generally speaking, unless they're uh, much more solid in their belief system. I was just going to share that I think that there's a lot of potential for uh, like a like low key, you know, a little bit of depolarization by helping citizens actually meet candidates. Um, so I think that's a good use of energy, and well, not just depolarization, but just like you know, people they're people are human beings. You know, people are humans. People are complex, um, and it's so easy to rely on stereotypes or assumptions or whatever when you don't actually get to meet your candidates. Um, and sometimes getting to meet them is just a really profound experience. Um, and, or even if it's not profound, it's still important. So like I, you know, I have, um, met politicians who I like them much less after meeting them because they did one <laughs> good thing. And I read into that one good thing too much. And then there's politicians where I was kind of like, meh about, and then met them. and I was like, wow, this person is a lot cooler than I ever just, I just had no idea. I really like this person. Um, and that that those that can be pretty potent across, you know, ideological or partisan lines. And then myself as a candidate, you know, people who are angry at me <laughs> when I communicated with some of them over text and, and didn't mirror their anger and was calm and open and uh, but but, you know, uh, express my point of view. Um, they became less angry with me. And and so I just think these interactions are healthy. And I think they, they have a lot of benefit for humanizing interactions and, and letting us understand that things are a little nuanced. And uh, some people, are, you know, are, are you, you get to know them and you're like, wow, you're you have a heart of a public servant and you wouldn't have given them a look before. And then you can learn that someone else is actually totally douchey and you don't actually like them. So um, anyways, I think it's really good to give people the opportunity to have this kind of engagement. So I think it's a, it's a wise thing to pursue. Awesome. Well, agreed, Ellie. And uh, thank you guys for participating today. This has been the No Name Podcast. We'll talk soon. Dustin, send this to me right afterwards and I'll get it back to you tonight. You guys Will take do. care. We'll talk soon. Bye.